So yeah, um, welcome everyone to another academy meeting. So, I mean, someone asked earlier today, um, what is the difference between the main group and this academy? So I would say that this academy has an intention of properly equipping us with a lot of scriptural understanding and um, just more in depth, you know, to give us a structural foundation. Let me use the word structural foundation so we can actually see the framework of a lot of truths in the Bible and how they are built and how each concept progresses from one to another. I would say that the main group has an intention of, what's the word I would like to use? Resetting a lot of ideologies, you know, a lot of concepts, a lot of doctrinal standpoints, you know, having us to reassess. So the main group, which, you know, it's, that's why I call it the main group because it's going to involve a lot of people who are partially present, fully present, different kinds of people, you know. So it's, it's a general atmosphere where we tackle ideologies, you know. You know, we tackle ideologies with scriptures, with this, but it's, it's mainly ideological. It's mainly, we talk about things from the point of view of the essence, you know, to kind of reorient our understanding is of a lot of things, the way we approach God, the way we understand the Bible, the way we understand a lot of things, you know. The academy is that, but it's also, it also has an intention of actually building that framework through the Bible and um, various, other tools, various other tools that God is going to put at our disposal. Is that summary easily, easy to understand? Do we understand that? Do we understand that? Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So yeah. Um, so today, like I said, we're starting from the beginning. We're going to the beginning. And um, what other beginning is there except God? You know, God, a very big word, a very old word, a very popular word, which means different things to different people, you know. So right from the beginning, I want to ask us, when you hear the word God, what comes to your mind? What does God mean to you? You know, so I would like to hear our thoughts. What does God mean to us? Love. What is love? Okay. 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 What does love mean to you? <laughs> uh, well, I guess comp companionship. Like companionship being there every time being there every time okay what does being there every time look like to you what does that mean does it mean what does it mean when someone is there for you every time what does that mean to you like even when i don't want the person there the person is there fair enough, well, fair enough. that's good because sometimes we say we want someone to always be there for us but sometimes what we're saying is we want someone to always agree with us, right or wrong, you know? And that was sometimes in friendships and companionships, when we have someone who disagrees with us, even if what they are disagreeing with is actually something to be disagreed with, we feel betrayed and we say, oh my, you are not there for me in that time. And the truth is that they shouldn't have been 
there for you in that way, they should have told you no instead of yes. Can we relate to that? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, yeah, companion, companion. Someone said circle, essence, my source, um, everything. <laughs> Tony said everything, everything. So I mean, if you say everything, I'm gonna ask you what is everything, you know, because all these words that uh, were thrown around, I want to know what they mean to you. Sharon said, when I think about God, I'm reminded of a faithful father that never fails his children. So Sharon, let me ask you, when you say God never fails his children, what does that mean? What does it look like when the father fails his child to you? I'm just like reminded of a father that is always coming through, like irrespective of like the situation you are in, you, may, you, may, you might think to yourself, okay, it's not looking like there's any possibility of coming out of that situation. But he always comes true for us. That's what I'm reminded of. Amazing, amazing. Not necessarily for, it's according to his will. It might not be what we want at that moment, but he's working for our good. Yes, yes, absolutely. Absolutely, Sharon. Thank you for that. So yeah, God is everything. God is love. God is circles, essence. He's, he's um, a friend. He's big, like it was said, <laughs> Susan said, grand organized designer. Fantastic, definitely. That's a very um, beautiful definition for God, the source of life. So yeah, you know, God is the father, God is the source, he's the essence, he's our companion, he's a lot of things, you know. So I want us to, I want us to begin probing this concept of God, you know, because this word God, you know, it's a new word. You know, as I always say, the English language is fairly new. It's very new. It's about 1,300 years old, you know. Obviously, we know this God is older than 1,300 years old. So this word God is a new name for something that is much older than that word. Do we understand that? Huh? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So when we use words, you know, words are just like a way of words are just like a way of us trying to give a summary to something. So I have an idea in my mind, you know, I have a concept in my mind. And that concept is when I, if I describe the feeling literally, I'll say, oh, I felt so cold when it happened, you know? I felt so cool inside. Oh, my whole body was just vibrating. And that's the actual reality I was experiencing inside of me. But for me to help you to understand that reality, I use a word that you also have attached that same feeling to. And I say, happy. Now, if you've never experienced happiness before, or at least the kind of happiness I'm describing. If I say happy, will it mean anything to you? No. No. So for a word to have meaning to another person, they both of, both people have to have attached a, the same reality to that word. So for example now, 
here in my hand is a bottle of water, right? Now, this liquid here, the reason why you understand me when I say water is because you have attached this thing to the word water, true or false? True. True. So true. let me ask you a question. Which is real, the word water or this thing right here? The word, sorry, the thing. The thing itself, exactly. Because the thing itself is older than the word water. Water is a new word, a new name given to describe something that is older than the language. Like we said, English is new. Even Greek is new. Latin is new. Hebrew is new, you know, three, 4,000 years old in a planet that is billions of years old. So this person that we call God, the word God, or whatever name we call it as in this time, is new, you know. And we use words, because the moment you use a word to describe something, you put it inside of a box in order for your mind to wrap around it, you know? So fundamentally, when we use words, when we label things, it's a kind of limitation in order for us to keep it somewhere in our minds. Do we understand that? Yeah. You know? Yes. So generally, when we talk about a name of a thing, whatever name is given to that thing is a kind of limitation to that thing. I mean, let me ask you a question. When you use the word happy, does it really communicate the same? Does it really, does it communicate the depth of the word of the feelings you want someone says happy? Does it? No. But if someone says happy and they play a particular musical sound, you know, that has this aura of joy, doesn't it have a richer feeling? It does. Yes. You know, so imagine if they say the word happy, they play a musical sound and they also attach a face that looks so joyful. Won't you feel it even more? You would. Huh? You, you would. would. Because reality, the true experience of reality, the true understanding of reality goes beyond words. Words are very limited, words are very tiny, words are very small, but nonetheless, they are important for us to start with. Why did I say this? Because now that we're about to enter into a lot of study, a lot of research, a lot of you know seeking, it's good for us to understand. First and foremost, the Bible was not written in English. It was written in the Hebrew language. You know, and like we just said, a language is people creating different boxes to contain their ideas. You see, so when I say the word water, that's like a box I'm using to contain the idea of this liquid. Do you understand that? Yeah. Huh? Yes. So everyone understands that, right? No one is confused? Yes, I understand. Uh-huh. So when you read a sentence, each word in that sentence is like a box that contains an idea 
something like a flash drive that has some data inside of it, you know? So each word in a sentence is like many boxes of ideas, okay? Now the sentence in itself is also a box. Do you understand that? So visualize this now, use your mind to visualize. We have a sentence with 10 words, right? Those 10 words are 10 boxes, right? Now, when you bring all those 10 words together, they form one sentence. That makes it one box with 10 boxes in it, right? Now, visualize a paragraph with 10 sentences. That makes it one box, that's a paragraph, with 10 boxes, that's 10 sentences, with 10 words. Do we understand that? Yes. Was that easy to visualize? No. Okay. Oh, you said no, it wasn't easy to visualize? Oh, yeah, it wasn't easy for me. It wasn't easy. Oh, forgive me. Okay. Okay, let's stick with it. Let, let, let's stick with the let's stick with the sentence. Okay. So let's say there are 10 words in a sentence, right? Imagine each word as being a box that contains something. So for example, I is a box that describes me, right? Am is a box that describes my present state. Happy is a box that tells you the exact state that I'm describing. Make sense? Yes, it makes sense. Uh -huh. If you don't know the meaning of the word I, but you know I'm happy, can you understand the fullness of the statement? No. 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 If you understand I am, but you don't understand happy, of course, you can't understand the full meaning of the statement, you know. So the Bible is just like this, and any book is just like this, you know. Every single word has an identity of its own. Every word has an identity of its own. That is by understanding the identity of the each individual words we can understand them when they come together. So for example, I am happy is a phrase with three boxes. Make sense? Do we understand that? Yes. Now, when those three boxes come together, they form one box, true or false? True. True. Yeah, like I said, I describes me, that's one box. Am describes my present state, that's the second box. Happy describes that state that I'm experiencing, the third box. But when you say, I am happy, that's one box. And for you to understand that one box, you have to understand the three inside of it. Do we get that? Yeah. I hope it's not too complex for us because everyone is a bit, you know, bit, uh... <laughs> but yeah. What do you say, Toby? No, nothing, nothing. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I'm, I'm just yeah. with, I was just like, I go, go on, go on, go on, go on. I'll, I'll eventually understand. Okay, so what's, what's, it, what's the challenge now? Okay, let me, no, just like, let me just start. Okay, so like so far from what I've gotten here, I've gotten mm -hmm. the names, the limitations to a thing being explained or like what a thing is, you know, and that name yes. contains ideas. Yeah, so... Yes. Just no, exactly. it's just the current example that got me confused. That's why. Sorry. 
Okay, so what I'm not getting to is now when we start to go to study the Bible, right? We're going to see going forward mm -hmm. that if I pick a verse in the Bible, I will have us to start picking out word, word, word in one verse in order to understand the verse, right? So now we're going to begin. Yeah. We're going to begin with Genesis chapter one. Genesis chapter one. Right? Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Okay. And it'd be nice if we could open to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. But I'm sure every single one of us knows knows um um the verse, right? So let me know when we're there. Genesis 1 verse 1. Let me know when we're there. You there? Awesome. So we all know how the verse goes. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, isn't it? So, like I'm, I'm, I'm presently writing in the, in the chat box, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So right now, I want us to isolate the first three words in the beginning, right? And actually, in the beginning, God created, sorry. In the beginning, God created, right? And we're going to build on that. So like I said, the Bible wasn't written in English. It was written in Hebrew, right? And the Hebrew words have an idea that they encapsulate. That is, if the English language is not as rich as the Hebrew, it would not be able to convey that same idea. Do we understand that? So imagine now, imagine now, um, so Toby, imagine you now, right? You are a, what's the word I like to use? You are a, you're a student of a physics professor, right? And the professor is speaking physics things in French, right? And you speak English. If you don't have the same level of understanding as that professor, will you be able to accurately translate what he's teaching? No. No. Because for you to accurately translate him, you have to somewhat be on the same level as he is. If we are not, then a lot of things will be lost in translation, you know. So the English language is just like that student in front of the professor. The Bible or the Hebrew language is the master and the English language is like a little baby. Because like I said, it's new. It's not very evolved. I mean, if you look at the English language, don't you see the, 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 the names they give their children? Mr. Wood, John Stone, Mr. Forrest. Like everything is so material, Abby. But... When we look at even names like Yoruba, you see Oluwatobi, you know, Oluwatosi, you know, they are Tagawoods. <laughs> yes, you see, the English language, when you look at it, it's very material, you know, everything about it is material related. There's no really spiritual element to it. There's no abstract element to it. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, unlike... The other languages, like even Yoruba, Igbo, Hausa, you know, you check them. 
they have their names have debt. There is no culture reaffirmed. There's no culture. It's not. There's not. It's not a spiritual language. It's very material. So you can imagine a language that is very material. <laughs> Danny, drink water. <laughs> That's a funny name. <laughs> God forgive for that. Somebody drink it. <laughs> you know. So imagine a language. <laughs> imagine a language that is very material trying to explain a language that is very spiritual. How successful do you think it would be? I'm asking. Not so successful. Not so successful, you know. It's to manage, you know. It's just manage, you know. It's like, uh, not at, uh, it's like, for example, um, there's a glass of, of, would I say dry gin? And I like using this um, analogy a lot because it's the best one I can use. There's a glass of dry gin, right? But when it's translated into, maybe they put it into a cup of Fanta, it loses a lot of its, its strength. So now the dry gin originally was 48%, but now you mix it with Fanta, it's become 25%. You know, It still has alcohol, but it's not as strong as the dry gin. Make sense? Make sense? Makes sense. You know, I'm just saying this yes. for some people who go yeah, to the does. extreme end and say, oh, if it's not in Hebrew, then it's nothing. There's no meaning there. That's not true. Because not that I'm, invi I'm inviting anyone to do so, but you see, if you, even if you mix Fanta inside dry gin and the person drinks it, that thing that you say won't shake your body to shake your body sooner, sooner or later. You know? So, <laughs> you know, the fact that the fact that something is mixed doesn't mean that it still doesn't have the potency to do some work. So English still has the capacity to do some work, you know, although it's watered down, but it can do some work. So anyway, like I said, the first three words, in the beginning, God created, you know. Now, those, those three words, in the beginning, God created, that's English, right? I want to introduce us to the Hebrew of those words. And I want us to investigate them and actually see how these things expand all throughout the Bible. You know, for those of us who are not familiar, I'm going to write it down. The three Hebrew words that was translated as in the beginning, God created. The words are Bereshit, Bara, Elohim. Bereshit, Bara, Elohim. What? Yeah? Now, these three words are very important. These three words that open the book of Genesis, they are very important because inside of these three words, everything is explained. The whole Bible is explained. The whole concept of the universe, the whole concept of nature, the whole concept of our relationship with God is explained. Right? In English, we see in the beginning, God created. But that is not what it says in Hebrew, right? The word Bereshit doesn't mean in the beginning. It means in beginning. The word Bereshit is two words. The letter B, which, is the, which means in, in Hebrew, the B sound, right? And Reshit which means 
beginning. Are we following this? Is it easy to understand? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So in Hebrew, the word bereshit means in beginning. The b sound means in. The reshit means beginning. For example, we have Bethel, you know, that is the house of God. We have Bethlehem, you know, the house of bread. The word ba literally means house. So when we use it as a metaphor, so if, if you use the word ba, ah, this would be so complex, forgive me. Let's not go that far, please. So yeah, the ba sound means in, right? It means in, but the word ba means house. So when they put the word but in front of the word, it means that word is inside of that house. Does that make sense? I'm just trying to show you how the Hebrew language no. is very poetic. No, I'm confused though. I'm confused. confused? <laughs> <laughs> we'll go too far if we go there. Okay, let me just explain very briefly because it's, it's not really related so much. Every Hebrew house, Jesus Christ, every Hebrew alphabet, right, has... Is it every, every Hebrew alphabet is a symbol that is attached to different things. So for example, the letter B in Hebrew means house, right? So when you put the letter B in front of another word, it's like that word is inside of a house. Does that make sense? So that's why when the B is in front of a word, they say in. Do you understand that? I'll shall come. My network is cutting and I'm so emotional. Please, can you say that again? I can't hear you, unfortunately. Yes, for me, the words, the letters have meanings of their own, but that would be too deep. That's why I said, you know, I said in the sentence, there are words. Now, in the words, there are also letters, but that would be too deep. I don't want us to go that deep now, you know. But yeah, every letter has a meaning of its own. So when you see a name in the Bible, when you actually go into the individual <clears throat> letters that make up that name, you find out that those letters are communicating something very potent, you know. Shaka. That, yes. Can I help you a little bit? Okay, go ahead. In Igbo language, inside is Ime. Pregnancy is Ime. So literally, inside becomes a symbolism for pregnancy because it is inside. And, and I feel like there, it's almost the same thing with most other languages. So I'm, I'm trying to help the lady who says she doesn't understand the in and the house symbolism and the picture, word picture that is coming to play there. So maybe if there's something in your language that means the same same word, two different things. I, I hope I'm making sense. Yes, the inside. Yes, the side of the in. <laughs> but yeah, it's all, it's all, yeah. <laughs> it's all very, yeah, it's all very metaphorical. So that's how the language is. It's, it's very, you know, it's very poetic. It's, it's very metaphorical. So right now we're at the first word in beginning. And I want us to remember it. Bereshit, you know, Bereshit doesn't mean in the beginning, it means in beginning. Now, as I explained, 
The word Bereshit is a joining of two words. The Ber, which means in, and Reshit, which doesn't just mean beginning, right? But it also means the highest. Do we understand that? Reshit literally means something that is above all things. So for example, in Hebrew, we have, um, we have um, what is called Rosh Hashanah, which means the head of the year. Literally, when they say the head of the year, they mean beginning of the year. So for example, in English, we can say the head of the year is January, right? Now that will be Reshit. That will be the beginning. That will be the highest. So a question for us, just to stimulate our minds. Why would they associate the beginning with the highest? I'm asking. Hmm. Yeah, Rashid, I mean, Rashid means beginning and highest. Is that what you're trying to say? Yes. Yes, so that one word, Rashid, means two things. It means beginning and it means the highest. So I'm asking, why would they relate the word beginning and highest together? Why, why are those two things associated? Who can give, me, give it a try? What is the um, relationship? Because the uh, beginning of a thing is like the start of a thing. So it's like, I don't know how to say it. It shouldn't be, the, it shouldn't be um, the highest, but because it's like the start, it's like the beginning. So it's like the, I don't know the English words you use how to explain this. The English is very limited. But it's, it's like before the, all things. Yes, before, God bless you, before all things. Uh-huh. So, so it sort of has like a higher, um, a higher, a higher, it was there first. Uh-huh, so my original hierarchy, you know, that's it. Aha, uh-huh, it was there. Just like you know, if you have a child now, you are the highest in relationship to that child because you were there before that child. Make sense? Hmm? Yeah. Yeah. So so I'm for you to be the I'm or- understanding your your um, illustration. And I think this will help every other person. If you're someone who understands your native tongue, it would be so much fun to juxtapose this thing. So in Igbo language, I'm sorry, I'm Igbo, so it's making so much sense to me. Isi is head. And when someone says bidonisi, that start from the beginning, it's also isi, which is the head. So the head comes first. The head is where it all starts from. And so it's also the highest in the human body. So, yes, exactly. it makes a lot of That's sense. That's beautiful. So do you see now that, they, they, you know, they've made us to believe that our languages are poor. But look, it's actually much richer than the Western exactly. languages. Not trying to do anything tribal or whatever, but I'm just stating facts. The Yoruba language, the Igbo language, it's when you look at it in detail, is much richer. I'm not Igbo, but I had a friend who is Igbo, and he told me that in Igbo, when they want to say, can you smell it? In Igbo, it actually goes, can you hear the smell? True or false? For those that, whoever is Igbo here. Very true. You know? And it makes sense for them to say, hear the smell. Because it's one thing for you to perceive something. It's another thing for you to actually understand what you're perceiving. So to hear the smell means that you are smelling something and you can discern what that thing is. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, so literally here, the smell makes so much more sense than smell something. 
because to hear the smell, you are actually discerning exactly what it is. So you see how languages, you know, especially those that have a kind of, they're still much closer to their spiritual origin. They have a way of communicating a lot of wisdom. You know, that's why a lot of the Yoruba people who became very spiritual in the early um, 20th century, late 19th century, they like that Yoruba Bible. Because I tell you, the Yoruba Bible has much more depth than the English Bible should be told. The Yoruba language is deeper than English, you know. I don't know if you've ever seen any Yoruba person praying their, you know, their language is deep. It's very deep, you know. So, yeah, when we start to go into languages, it, it has, you know, it has a lot of depth, you know. So, that Hebrew word, reshit, you know, it means the highest and it, it means the beginning, you know. Because for something to be the beginning of other things, it has to be higher than those things. So that's what that first verse is saying. In the highest, in that thing from which everything begins, God created. We look at creation as God making something outside of himself. You know, when we say I've created, God has created this, we visualize an image of a man standing here and creating something outside of himself. But in Hebrew, we literally see that the creation itself is happening in God. Do we understand that? Yes. Huh? Yes. Yeah. Because it says in beginning. Beginning is the highest. The highest is, is, a, is a person, is a being, is a, is, a, is a dimension of existence. In that place, which is the beginning of all things, God created. Okay. Make sense? Um, so can I ask a question? Okay. Okay, so Rashid, which is, it means, doesn't it also mean the beginning? Or like, does it also mean begin? Because I'm kind of lost in that. It has is it just yes? Mm -hmm. The word Rashid has two meanings. That's what I said from the beginning. Okay. It has two meanings. It means okay. the highest and the mm -hmm. beginning. And I asked okay, us, okay. can you relate to me why the beginning and the highest are the same thing? Okay. Know, so someone gave an analogy. The head is the yeah. highest in the body. And it's from here everything flows, you know? Okay. So... um. Can one say that, you know how you say that God is the beginning and the end, so that God is the highest, then everything like creation started from God, like sort of boomerang from him. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yo, that's like the, when you use the word boomerang, that is a word that came from the Holy Spirit because that's exactly what it is. It's a boomerang. Because mm. if something comes out of somewhere, it must return to that same somewhere. It's like breathing in and breathing out. So mm. let's liken creation to a breathing out of God. <sighs> and the end of the creation as a breathing in on God. You see? And that's how creation happens and destruction happens. Is a breathing in, breathing out. Breathing in, breathing out. So obviously this word that we're seeing today is not the first. It won't be the last. Because when we talk about breathing in, breathing out, it's not limited to us as physical beings. It exists on every dimension of existence. 
according to his scale. You know? So when God breathes out, creation happens. When God breathes in, creation ends. The beginning and the end, exactly. Now you see why Christ came and said, I am the beginning and the end. I am the first and the last. I am the alpha and the omega. That should tell you that in that Genesis chapter one, they're telling you where everything was created and that's Christ, you see? So now I want us to open, I want us to open to Colossians. Colossians chapter one. Colossians chapter one. I think, let me open it, I'll find it for you guys now. Colossians chapter one, verse, verse 16, verse 16, and verse 17. So if someone could actually copy and paste it on the, on the chat for us, Colossians chapter one, verse, actually 15, 16, and 17, you know. Yes, Tolu, it's very deep. It's very deep. Ferrami says, is this like when he says his word won't return to him empty, so there will be a return? That's always, it always has to be a circle. Nature is circular. That's why you see the globe is a circle. The solar system is a circle. The galaxy is a circle. Your body also has a cycle. You wake up, you sleep, you wake up again. Circle. Everywhere you see circle, 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 circle. Because the circle describes life. Life is a circle. You know, Lion King is the circle of life. It's true. You know, that song is true. It communicates a deep and profound reality to us. You know, the circle of life. Life is really a circle. Everything that goes around comes around, you know. That's why Solomon said, if you look around, can you say that anything is new? What is, is what was and what will be. There is nothing new under the sun. Because life is a circle, you know. Everything goes and, you know, is it breathing out and breathing in? That's a circle, you know. You're born and you die. That's a circle, you know. So that's nature in itself. And the beginning of that circle, and there are so many different circles. So for example, this group began, that's the beginning of a circle. It has to have its end, you know, at least in a particular form. The, the mistake a lot of people make about life is that they don't know that death completes the cycle of life. And people don't like to allow things to die. That's the big issue. People think immortality is to be alive in the same form continuously. But that's not true. Immortality is when you have the same spirit taking on different forms from time to time. That is really immortality. Do you get what I'm saying? So, for example, money is becoming immortal because it's now transcending pieces of paper into credit card, into Bitcoin. It's still the same spirit of money, right? But it's taking different forms. So a piece of paper has died or is dying now, right? To move into credit card. Credit card soon will start to die to move into Bitcoin. The form is changing, but the spirit is consistent. Does that make sense to us? 
Huh? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That is true mortality. So, for example, let's say this Heaven's Gate that has begun. If Heaven's Gate is to be immortal, it has to be willing to die because whatever Heaven's Gate is now is as a result of the environment it's in. Physically speaking, your physical bodies are a reflection of your environment, true or false. God didn't create black people. God didn't create white people. God didn't create brown people. God created people. And by reason of the atmosphere which they found themselves, their skin had to adapt to that atmosphere. And that's how colors came. Your skin is black. Yes, of course. Your skin is black because your, your cells had to... Because Africa is a tropical climate. There's a lot of intense sunlight, much more than the body needs, you know? So the body had to adapt to that excess sunlight by developing a pigmentation to keep out excess sunlight. That's why you look black. But in the Northern region of the world where things are much cooler, their body doesn't need that much melanin pigment. As a matter of fact, it needs less. Because for those of us who've been to London, Norway, New Zealand, there's really not much sun there. So their skin has to adapt in a way that it can receive as much sun as possible. Your black skin has adapted in such a way that it can receive as little sun as possible. Do we understand that? Huh? So, your reflection of your environment and your environment is a reflection of you. When the environment changes, but you don't change, that's when a problem starts to happen, you know? And that was the problem with the Jews at the time. Everything that Moses developed 4,000 years ago, his whole system, his whole school of thought was a reflection of the people in that time, was a reflection of their psychology. But as of the time of Jesus, the world has changed, true or false? Huh? The world had changed. It had evolved. Now, that same structure that Moses formed, in order for it to continue living, it has to pick up a new form. It can't stay in the same form again. It has to die. Because the form it had in the time of Moses was a reflection of the environment of Moses. But when the environment has changed, and that's the mistake people make in life generally, you know, we need to know the environments that we're in. Abby, have you not had times when you can be in a space where if you speak broken English, it's comfortable, everyone is laughing, but you enter a space, if you speak broken English, they look at you like, what's wrong with you? Abby? True or false? You know? True. So in life in general, to be able to survive, to be able to continue living, you have to be able to adapt to each environment that one finds oneself. You know, because things around us are changing. And for us to continue living in the world, for us to continue moving, we also have to be able to adapt and change as well. How did we get here? Jesus is Lord. So, um, so you gave an analogy. I said that this group that is here, for example, it has to die because life is circular. But the fact that it dies doesn't mean the spirit in it dies. Do you understand? Whatever it is now, this Zoom call, this WhatsApp, these are forms it had to take for this time, you know? Even the teachings that were starting from this place and everything it is now, 
is as a result of the people that surround it. But in 100 years time, the world might be different, you know? And if the group doesn't set itself up for review, and review meaning, means willing to change some elements, some expressions, to adapt to the new environment that one is in. If that doesn't happen, that is when the thing will just collapse and crumble, you see. But death must happen, you know? Yes, this explains why exactly, you're brilliant. This is why companies die out, because they have leaders who don't understand Genesis chapter one. Are you guys get what I'm saying? The whole secret of the world are just explained in those three letters, Bereshit, Bara, Elohim. If you actually understand those three words, it opens the gates to a lot of things in life. That place that is the beginning is also the same place that is the end because the beginning and the end are two parts of one thing. You know, you can't separate them. God bless you, Onye. You, 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 um, you brought a very beautiful, um, you pasted something very lovely in the chat, you know. So life is cyclical in nature. Life is circular in nature. And wherever something begins is the same place that something is going to ultimately end. Because the end is part of the beginning and the beginning is part of the end, you know. So when I explain in that, the beginning is the highest, is the, is, the, is the origin of things, right? And this has nothing to do with time, Abi. For the most part, most of us, when we talk about the beginning, don't we think of time? We say 5,000 years ago, 10, isn't that how we've looked at it before? I'm asking. Yep. You know? Yes. And we can't be blamed for that because, like I said, when a language that doesn't have spiritual depth interprets a language with much spiritual depth, misinterpretation is the only outcome, at least in some areas, you know. The Bible was much richer when it was translated to Greek or Latin because those languages have a lot of spiritual elements to themselves. For example, that's why you see that very off point, but it's also part of it, you know, when people want to cast spells, you know, when they want to use what is called incantation, which is not good or bad, incantation simply means words arranged together in a specific way to invoke a kind of energy. So when you, when you say the word Yehoshua, that is an incantation. It's not just a normal word, you know. There are sounds that are put together that creates a kind of potency, especially if your heart is associated with that word. It's not just anything. You know, so that's why in deep, when you start getting deep spiritual understanding, you don't call words recklessly because sound has power. It has power to create. So that's why you see when people want to do a lot of hexes and whatever, you see them using languages like Latin, like Hebrew, like Chinese Mandarin, you know, because those languages are still very rich in spiritual, you know, in spiritual, the spiritual elements. They are not Fully, they're not very material. They still have connection to the energetic aspect of life. Yoruba as well. Yoruba course is deep, <laughs> you know? Yes, you know? Because the more a language, a word, is connected to the spiritual aspect of life, the more it has the capacity to bring the spirit down, you know? And 
in a very and in an in an if I use an analogy, I'll say that you as an individual are a kind of word. But are you an English word or are you a Hebrew word? If I see you, can the life of Christ speak out of you clearly, or is it only dead things coming out? Do you understand that analogy? You know. So all of us are words. The question is, are you English or are you Hebrew? Some people are even broken English, so <laughs> broken English for worry. <laughs> You know, <laughs> but it's the truth. <laughs> Some people are broken English from worry. <laughs> That's strong work from Bini. <laughs> you already know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so the more a word is aligned with the spiritual aspect of life, the more that word has the capacity to bring energy from that aspect or from that dimension down. Because a word is a portal. Literally, if I say water, that word is a bridge I'm giving to you to connect you with an idea in my mind. Right? Because what is water? In my mind, I have a picture of the liquid, true or false? You understand? So what is in my head is that picture of the liquid. When I say water, that word is a bridge that I'm trying to use to get you to see into my mind, right? If, however, you don't know the word water, if I say water, there's no bridge between us. And you can't have an understanding between the idea in my head and the word I just used. Because words are bridges. But it's only a bridge if both people using the words know how to cross. That's why if a French person comes to a Yoruba person, it's as if nothing can happen because they have different words, different associations with different things, and there's just no bridge between them. You know. So a word is a portal. A language is a portal. And it connects, it connects the physical with the spiritual, always. If I say I'm angry, the concept of anger, is it physical or is it metaphysical? I'm asking. Metaphysical. Indeed. Because you can't hold anger. If I say to me, hold your anger, you can't hold it like this. You can only hold the expression of anger, which is breaking table, these, these are expressions. But anger in itself is not physical. Do you understand? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anger is metaphysical, right? So whenever we're speaking, Words are ways of connecting ourselves with the metaphysical. Happiness is metaphysical. Pride is metaphysical. Love is metaphysical. So life, every word we use is connecting the physical with the metaphysical. The question is, what degree of metaphysical are we speaking from? Are we speaking from the heights of the heavens? Or are we speaking from the depths of the hell? So when they say word is a curse word, it's a word that is designed in a way that it brings out the energy from the hell, the destructive region of life, and pours it out into the physical. When we say a word is a blessing, it's a word that brings the energy from the dimensions of the heavens and pours it into the physical. Another word to use for that, you can say a mantra. You know, that's what it means for a word to be a mantra. You know, it's arranged in such a way that it easily brings down the energy from the heavens down to earth. So that when that word 
touches a thing, it begins to arrange it in such a way that it becomes beautiful. But when a curse comes, a curse scatters something and makes it ugly. So far, so good. Do we understand all these analogies? Yeah. Yeah? The rest of us? Yeah. Yes. So everything that's going on now, I'm just trying to get us to understand words because in these are courses that we're going to have, be ready to go into words, language, analogies. This is, this is, this is how to learn, you know? We have to start learning how for, to allow our minds to be very broad and vast and be able to connect to many things simultaneously, you know? So someone asked the question, she said, does this apply to quest confessions too? Fermi, maybe you can expand on that so much. Okay, and um, when I say confessions, like how um, sometimes we take Bible verses and we speak them over our lives, like we say them that this will apply to me. Of course, it's those that, it, it relates to that. Primarily, not necessarily because of the words per se, because like I said, the Bible wasn't written in English, but in Hebrew. But when we use positive words, you know, I shall be well with me, I'm going, I'm good going out, I'm good coming in. When we use those words, those words serve as a kind of tool to program our mind to function positively. Because if our mind is functioning negatively, even if blessing is coming our way, just because, because your mind is like an antenna, it is emitting waves, you understand? And everything within the field of the waves of your mind are affected. This includes your physical body. This also includes people around you. Have you not had an experience where someone who their mood is so dampened and just by being around them, you're just oh, I'm so uncomfortable, my stomach, oh, I need to live here, you're draining me. Have you not had that before? Yeah. You know? So our minds, our emotions create like a kind of magnetic field that actually influences everything within that space. And that includes us. It includes your physical body too. So if your mind is always projecting a kind of Wi-Fi that is destructive, your body will reflect that destructive nature of your mindset. And that's why they tell you speak positively, think positively. That speaking positively primarily is to get you to make your mind tune in the right frequency, you know. It gets much deeper than that, but for, for fundamentally, that is why it's good to affirm the right things, you know, to get our mind vibrating in the right place. So, Onye, your hand has been raised. Please talk to me. Oh, I just, actually, I forgot my question. Don't mind me. Remember. <laughs> But so far, so good. Are we understanding? Oh, wait. I remember now. I was going to ask about the circle thing and also how the beginning and you said that how the beginning and the end, like how the end ends at the beginning. And yeah. So like, could you please explain that to me? Please. So primarily speaking, right? Your physical body mm -hmm. is a product of the particles of this planet, true or false? Mm -hmm. 
if I investigate a physical body and I look at its contents, I will see that you and this planet are not different, right? Mm-hmm. The reason you can stay on this planet is because you are actually this planet. You and the planet are not two different things. You are just two expressions of one thing, right? Mm-hmm. So physically speaking, you came from the planet, physically speaking, which mm-hmm. is your beginning, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And physically speaking, where are you going to go back to? The planet. Exactly. Because physically, that's where you're from. So on a much grander scale, God is the planet of all reality. And everything is created in him, begins in him, and ends in him. Make sense? Mm-hmm. God is the mm-hmm. planet of... Yeah, I'm just writing it down. Sorry. Okay, Don't mind. no problem. So I asked us to bring Colossians chapter because I want to start showing us to how to connect different scriptures to expand our understanding. So Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 says, He is the image of the invincible God, the firstborn over all creation. Even though in, in, like in this NKJV right now, right? Okay, someone just sent the NIV version. Aha, the NIV version is perfect. So look at this. Uh, can we all see the NIV in the chat? Yeah. So it says, the sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. We're presently reading Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, 16, and 17. Now this is verse 16 now. For in him, look at our statement, for in him, inside of him, all things were created. Are you seeing that this is talking about Genesis? Do you guys see that? Do you see that? Yeah, yeah. Crystal clear. You know, crystal clear. This is Bereshit, Bera, Elohim, right here. He said, for in him, all things were created, right? Things in heaven and on earth visible and invisible thrones or dominions powers rulers authorities all things have been created through him and for him he is before all things and in him holds everything together you know so this dispels the idea that god is up there and we are down here because literally, is we're being told here in this Colossians, right? That we're inside of God. God is our body. And we are like cells inside of the body. Does that analogy make sense to us? Does the analogy yeah. make sense? You know? Mm-hmm. God is the gigantic body. And we are cells inside of that body. He is our habitation. Is the habitation of all of our nature, you know? So to give us much strength to this concept, you know, we began with Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Now we brought in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. I want us to go to Acts. Acts chapter 17. So someone should take note of the scriptures that we're bringing out. Aha, Tolu, God bless you. You're, you're, you've already written what I was going to talk about. Acts chapter 17, verse 20. 
8. Actually, verse 26 to 28. Acts 17, verse 26 to 28. Let me know when we're there. Okay, so let's read what Paul said, right? Let's read what Paul said in Acts chapter 17. He said, and from one man, he made all the nations. Even though that's not what he really said in the actual translation, in the actual, in the actual Greek text, it said from one. It didn't say man, it just said from one, you know, but that's something for us to take note of. And this is why we have to learn how to, as we read the English, we also have to go and look at the actual um, text it was written in to see, to make parallels and have a richer understanding of what's going on, you know. So in this Acts chapter 17, it says, for from one man or from one, and that one is what? Rashid, beginning, right? Christ. He made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Now, this is an important thing for us to remember. You know, this is this very next part. Though he is not far from any one of us, for in him we live, move, and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Are you following this? Because we look at God as something far, far away in a distant land, up in the sky and far away from us. And we are, you know, we're far from him. But Paul is saying that how can, it's just like you now, right? Fair, I mean, imagine now, if I put you inside the stomach of, uh, of uh, Adeshewa, right? For the fact that you are inside of Adeshewa's body, can she ever be far from you? No. No, because you're inside of her, you know. You're, you're within her body. You're within her system. So you're always a part of God. All of us here are a part of God. You see, if I say to you now that all of us here are God, I won't be wrong. But when I will be wrong is if I will say all of us here are God all by ourselves. And that's the mistake people make. You want to be God separated from the body it's like your finger right your finger as long as it's attached to you isn't it you if this finger touches someone would they say oh it's rookie's finger that touched this wouldn't they say rookie touched this i'm asking huh they would yeah they would so so long as your finger is attached to your body your finger is your body. Your finger is you. And if anything is touched with that finger, they will say, you touched it. They will say, finger touched it. Now, if the finger cuts itself off from the body, where it gets its life source from, where it gets its energy from, that's when the finger dies. Because the finger's reality, its sustenance, its foundation, 
is built on the fact of it being connected to that body. Fermi, you're right. It's nothing. Because everyone wants to be God apart from God. It doesn't make sense because God is everything. God is not, God is everything. Everything altogether makes up God. And that's why for the image of this meeting, I put space and I put the stars and the galaxies because that is the best picture of God I can give to us. Like I said, best picture. A picture is still a limitation because God is beyond that. But that's the best picture I can give because we, we, we have this limitation of a man, physical man, sitting up there. No. When they say we were made in this image and likeness, doesn't necessarily mean that he looks exactly like this. It means that we share the same essence. What does that mean? God has the capacity to hear, the capacity to see, the capacity to speak, but his mouth doesn't necessarily have to look like this, you know? So for example, now, look at Lai Mohammed. He got on the internet and said, oh, the social media bill should be abolished. Someone now tweeted at him saying, Lai Mohammed, shut up your mouth. The question to ask, was it his lips that said that thing or was it Twitter? I'm asking. Huh? It was Twitter. But how come they associated Twitter with his lips? Why did they say shut up your mouth when his lips were not moving? Are you guys getting my analogy here? When they say we're created in the image of God. The same concept, the same principle of speech that he has is what we have. But the form is not the same. You understand? So God can see. He has the capacity to see. But it doesn't necessarily have to look like an eyeball. You get my point? When the ancient people used the physical human being to represent God, it was a representation for you to look at the elements of the physical body and understand the essence of it. The essence of my hand is the ability to grab something. Now imagine when I tell you, I say confidence, get a hold of yourself. Am I telling you to use your physical hand to grab your mind? I'm asking. No. But psychologically, you also have a hand that can grab yourself. You see what I'm saying? So when they say right hand of God, it's not a literal, the hand is not in this form, right? But essentially it's the same. So as we begin to enter into the study of scriptures and the wisdom of the ancient men, we have to understand essence, spirit, nature, and the expression of it, the form of it. You understand? That's why the Bible is very poetic. They say, oh, Moses climbed up the mountain to see God. And one thinks that Moses climbed up a physical mountain somewhere in the middle of the Middle East. It's possible that he did, but that isn't what they were speaking about. Because physically speaking, a mountain speaks of something that is high and something that is bold and something that has presence. That essence, that quality also has its representation spiritually. It speaks about a dimension, a place that is high. So when they say Moses went up the mountain, it could mean he went up a physical mountain, but that's just one half of the coin. Because it's not on a physical mountain that Moses will get all that revelation. 
It's a spiritual mountain. Do we understand that? Mm -hmm. Huh? Yes. If you climb physical Mount Sinai, you won't get anything. But if you climb the spiritual Mount Sinai that Moses got, the same way Moses came down with instruction of God, you also come down with it. Abi? And it happens to us in little, little moments. We're having a particular stuff that we want to solve, maybe a particular argument that we have. If we're able to remember God in that moment of that argument, in that instant, we're climbing Mount Sinai to bring down the oracles of God for that time. True or false? True. You understand? Mm -hmm. Because Mount Sinai is representative of the realms of the spirit, of an elevated dimension of consciousness. And for one to bring down the laws of heaven, one has to consciously penetrate that dimension of heaven. It's not about climbing a physical mountain, you know? And that's why they use the word mountain a lot in the Bible. Because it's not just speaking about a physical stone in the middle of somewhere. It speaks of a spiritual dimension. Because physically, a mountain is high. It's elevated. You know, it's above things. Now, that is the principle of the mountain. That is the essence of the mountain. That is the spirit of the mountain. Height, elevation, strength, dominion. Now, that same principle applies to things in the spirit. And we can also use it for different metaphors. That way, you see today, especially in the Christian community, they say, oh, let's mount the mountain of media, the mountain of politics, you know, metaphors. I'm sure we're familiar with the metaphor, the man kicked the bucket. Do we know that metaphor? Right? Yes. It's an English metaphor. And what does it mean? It means that everyone is a bucket and the life inside of us is water. When that bucket is kicked on the ground and the water pours out, it's like our life coming out of us, death. Do we understand the analogy? You know? So that little statement, kick the bucket, has a lot of depth from an, analog an analogical perspective, from a spiritual perspective, from an essential perspective. When you understand the essence of a bucket, which is something that contains something, when you understand the essence of water, which is life, when they talk about water being poured out of a bucket, you know that death is being spoken of. And that's why Paul said, I am now being poured out as a drink offering. Are we familiar with that scripture? Any one of us? You know? So, and this is how we need to start approaching the Bible and life and God because they're not, they're not bound to one singular form. That's why Jesus Christ could stand and say, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you can't enter the kingdom of God. And he was right. But he didn't mean it in the physical plane. He meant it on a much more higher dimension because he is literally bread that you eat and his blood is life that you drink, literally, but not physically. Do you get what I'm saying? Is everyone understanding this concept? Huh? Yeah. We've not forgotten Genesis 1 verse 1. Everything I'm saying now has 
evolved from Genesis 1 plus 1. And if you see, when we enter the end of this conversation, you see that just like a circle, it will end back in Genesis 1 verse 1. It just happens to be a very big circle that I'm unfolding now. Are you seeing the analogy? You see? It's a big circle. But you're going to see how everything is going to come back to the end. So circles are different. You know, they're small circles, they're medium circles, they're very large circles. So right now, this conversation has its beginning in Genesis 1 verse 1. And right now, maybe we're on, let me say, hmm, 180 degrees. Soon, we'll soon reach the complete 360. And you say, ah, I get it, you know. So analogies, 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 analogies are very important to understand what the Bible is saying. So to understand when Paul says, for in him we live, move, and have our being, you have to understand the planets. Because in the planets, you live, move, and have your being. True or false? You have your nourishment here. It's only inside of your planet that you can have nourishment because you are the same thing. Do you get what I'm saying? Can you guys hear me? Yes. Huh? Yes. Yeah. The reason that your planets can nourish you is because you and your planet are the same thing. If I put you in Mars, because you and Mars are different from one another, it can't work. You'll be poisoned. Not because Mars is a poisonous planet. It's because you and Mars are not compatible with one another. Because there are beings who live on Mars comfortably. But you, who can't live there, is because the constitution of Mars is different from your own constitution. And this is the same thing it is with God. God is the constitution of all reality. Everything exists inside of God. Everything is in God. Everything is in Christ. There's nothing that exists that is done in Christ, you know. Then what does the, how, so doesn't this bring the question to us, how is it that Paul said everything is in Christ, but yet he comes to say, if you're not in Christ? Have we, have we does that make sense to us? Have, have, did that question ever arise in our hearts so far? Huh? You know? So for me to for me to for me to give a very beautiful image of this, you know, because we've seen that Paul said that everything exists in him, everything consists in him. We've seen it in Colossians chapter one, we've seen it in Acts chapter 17. We've seen it in Genesis. But what about the areas that I said, if you're not in Christ, you are perish, shall perish, and all these things. For us to understand this very well, I want us to use our imagination, right? I want us to visualize a big circle. A big circle. This circle is reality, is everything, is God, is Christ, is everything. And everything is in that circle, no matter if they like it or not. You know, this circle is the macro, is the macro cosmos. You, as a being inside of this circle, right? You are inside of this circle, but you are not conscious of it. 
Do you get my point? When you are conscious of being in the circle, now visualize it. Inside of that big circle, you also become a circle. You become a reflection of the macro. When you say someone is a Christ, when you say someone is illuminated, they themselves have become a circle inside of the circle. That's why you see the famous vision of Ezekiel, the wheel within the wheel. Are we following? Because God is a circle, right? Yuri, what's up? You said slow down. Yes, please, can you take it again? Okay. <laughs> okay. So I'm saying that everything, everything exists inside of God. Everything exists in God. Everything exists in Christ. There's nothing that exists that does not exist in Christ. David said, if I go up to heavens, you're there. If I descend into hell, you're also there. Do you get my point? So that idea that God is in heaven and Satan is in hell, that is not even scriptural. Because David there said that even in hell, God is there. Are be true or false? Huh? Yeah. So there's no place we can go that we won't find God because everything is inside of God. It's like you, Yuri, I put a granite inside of your body. Can, can, is, is it possible for the granite to be away from your body? It's not possible because it's in you. No matter how far it goes, it's still, it's, I mean, imagine a very big mansion like the Buckingham Palace, mm -hmm. you know? You might enter into a room that is very strange and exotic and far away from the queen's room, but you're still in Buckingham Palace. No matter how far you go, you're still in Buckingham Palace. The question is, are you conscious of it? Some of us here who don't, you know, you know, some of us who are not really, you know, familiar with the, you know, the royal way of eating, you know, you, you know, for those of us who know it, you know, there's a cup for water, there's a cup for wine, there's a plate for bread, there's a knife, you know, so some of us who know all, the, all this, you know, fantastic, I don't know it, I'm not saying, but whatever. But yes, you enter into Buckingham Palace. There is a way that one should be when they are conscious of themselves in the Buckingham Palace, you know. But people like Adrian now will enter their heart. She'll just be talking anyhow. You know, her language does not reflect the palace. They will not kick out. She starts saying that they're doing bad things to black people. Eh? I'm telling you why. <laughs> <laughs> it's one thing to be in Buckingham Palace. It's another thing for Buckingham Palace to be in you. It's another thing of, for you to be conscious of the fact that you're in Buckingham Palace. And if you are conscious of the fact that you're in Buckingham Palace, there is a way you behave. Abby, haven't you seen it? Haven't, you know, in movies, maybe if we're experiencing it in real life or maybe in movies, you don't know that you're in the presence of someone that is great and you just be talking anyhow and whatever, you just run your mouth and you now find that, ah, now you're going to be that too. You say, yay! <laughs> Sorry, 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 I didn't know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? Because you were in the presence of this person, whoever he is, whatever he is. But were you conscious of it? You, didn't, you were unconscious. You were in the presence of the president, but you didn't know you were in the presence of the president. And because you didn't know, you acted as someone 
who doesn't know what it's like to be in, 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 in you know, who doesn't understand how to be in the presidency, you know? So if, for example, you leave your country, you go to France, you go to Russia, you know, you're in a different place. The place has changed. You can't carry Nigerian mindset to Russia. You'll be in trouble because it's a different place. So yes, you're in Russia, but are you conscious of it? That's the question. Because everything that exists is in God. The question is, are you conscious of it? The consciousness of being in God is what Paul means when he says, if you're not in Christ, you're dead. But everyone is inside of Christ. Death only happens when one is unconscious of it. Have you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Huh? Yes. Are we understanding what I'm saying? Yeah. In that act, chapter 17, right? It says that for we are his offspring, right? And Paul was not speaking to people who have been baptized. He was not speaking to Christians. He was speaking to people who were, they were not Christians, quote unquote. But he said to them, for in him you live, move, and have your being. Right? You are the offspring of God. Right? They have not been baptized. They have not received anything about Lord and Savior. They have not received anything. But Paul said that they are the offspring of God. In fact, that word offspring in Greek is called genos. From the word genos, we have genetics, we have genes, we have genesis. And it talks about something being of the same genetic makeup of something else. So when he said you are of the you are you are God's genus, you are God's offspring, he's saying you are made, you are of the same genetics as God. But the question is, are you conscious of it? Do you know it? Are you aware that you're in the Buckingham Palace? What kind of clothes are you wearing? What kind of language are you speaking? You see, because when one is aware that they are in Buckingham Palace. They treat the whole place like it's rare ground. And there's a way a person acts when they are conscious of the fact that they're in presence of royalty. You see? And that's why God said to Moses, remove your shoes, you're on holy ground. It's not about a person removing their shoes in a particular place. It's about them being conscious of the presence of God. And that doesn't have to be only in your church. It doesn't have to be only on the mountain. It doesn't have to be in the wilderness. It should be right here now. Do we understand that? Huh? Yes. Yeah. Right now, right now. Are shoes off? Are we aware that we're on holy ground? Or is it until we see some fire and people run on the ground and prophecy and before we know that we're on holy ground? Because most of us forget ourselves until we see a lot of gymnastics. I say, ah, God is here. Is there anywhere that God isn't? You know, because we are all inside of God. And God is inside of all of us. It's not halfway. You are in God and God is in you because you are all made, of this, made up of the same stuff. Paul said, you are the genus of God, the genetics of God. 
the offspring. Every single one is made of the same stuff. You can't separate God from creation. God is creation. He is. God is creation. If I hold this bottle and say this is God, I'm absolutely right. But it's not God all by itself. And that's the mistake people make. You want to hold on to one thing and say only this thing is God. You have made a mistake. Because everything is God. And that's why Jesus Christ said, I was hungry and you did not feed me. I was without clothes and you didn't dress me. And he said, Master, Master, when did we see you hungry and we didn't feed you? When did we see you without clothes and didn't clothe you? And he said to them, for as much as you did not do this to the least of yourselves, you did not do it to me. Do we see that? Do we see that? And this is why historically, cultures always gave their children names that were associated with divinity to remind them that divinity exists in everyone. Chiamaka, Chinedu, Olumayowa, Adeboyega, Jesus, Moses, Jonah. In India, they will say Krishna. They will say this one is Shiva. That's everyone had that mindset that, ah, let me name my child something to remind me that God is in this person. So that as I'm treating them, I remember that this is God I'm treating. Do you understand that? That was why different, you see, every culture in the world, they always have, they give their children names associated with divinity. Whatever they call it, but divinity, this is the root of it. To remind themselves that in front of me, this is God. So I don't forget that. You know? Imabong, Ubong, you know, what are the other names? Tell me, you know? You know? Osamudiame, Osareme, Osareti, you know, different names to remind ourselves, exactly, to remind ourselves that divinity exists in every single one of us. All of us are a piece of divinity, wide piece of that life. And every piece of that life is precious. It can't be treated with disdain. It can't be treated callously. It has to be treated with respect. Because everything that we see, everything that we see is inside of God. Everything is God. Bereshit bara Elohim. In God, all things consist. In God, all things are created. Are we seeing the circle? Can we recognize it now? Huh? Do we see the circle? Yes. Absolutely. Yes. You know? You know? So without zone doubts, even though we've traveled far, it's a big circle, but it's still a circle. You know. And this this conversation is also a reflection of how life can be. Sometimes it looks as if your life has no meaning. Oh my god, I've gone off this tangent. I don't know where I am. Oh, everything is upside down, and we panic not realizing that sometimes circles are small and circles are large. If we're small circle people, when God puts us in a large circle, one that will last for five years, we think that God has abandoned us. 
And if we're big circle people, we don't learn how to appreciate the little moments. Always looking for the deepest thing in everything, you know, the depths. Both extremes are bad. You know? As much as it's important to plan how I'll eat five years from now, it's important I'll plan how I'll eat tomorrow, Abby. Do you understand what I'm saying? My food of tomorrow has to be planned. And also my food of five years has to be planned. You can't take one above the other. One is a small circle, one is a big circle, and they're both important. Bereshit bara Elohim in Reshit, in beginning, in the highest, in Christ, all things were created. All things. And you see now, everything we've said, actually, we are still on the word Bereshit. <laughs> Isn't it funny? We've not even entered into bara. <laughs> I said we just had only three words. We're only on the first word and see how far it has taken us. Are you guys getting this depth? Are you, are you is it just me? Are you feeling what I'm feeling right now? <laughs> yes, so <laughs> you didn't feel um <laughs> you know. So when Moses started that book with Bereshit, he had all this in his mind and more. That one word is a little box. See, I'm taking us back to that circle I began of the box. That little word Bereshit is a box of his own. It's a universe of his own. It's a whole, it's, it's a whole world of his own. So before we can understand Bereshit, Berah, Elohim, one has to first understand Bereshit, one has to understand Berah, one has to understand Elohim. Because each one is a box. And every box has its goodies. <laughs> Sweet candy to eat from and be nourished. Delicious. Delicious. I like that confidence and spirit. <laughs> so we're inside of the circle. But is our life a reflection of that circle that we're in? Or are we inside of a circle and we look like a square? <laughs> to be in Christ is when you as a person are a reflection of the circle you're in. Because we're all in this circle. We're all in God. But is that, are you reflecting it? Are you conscious of it? You're in the Queen's Palace, but are you aware of it? Do you know that's where you are? You know, it's a matter of consciousness. And that's why any wise person always talks about becoming awake. Awake, O Israel, from slumber. Awake. Because to be asleep is to be ignorant of where you are. It's to not know where you are. And when you don't know where you are, whatever action you take will be antagonistic to that environment that you're in. So for example now, as I'm talking to you guys here, I have an understanding, a rough understanding of the general psychology. For example, that's why I start every conversation. What's on your mind? This is me trying to know who I'm talking to because the conversation is both ways. I can't just stand and just be talking to you. I have to know who I'm speaking with. And that's why I'm always asking, what do you think? Would you understand this? Because I need, is a, is a, is, is a dance we're having right now. You know, it's, it's, it's a dance. Is a, is a flow, it's, it's a harmony. I have to know who I'm talking to in order to know how to give to them. 
you also also know how who you're talking to in order to know how to give to me. And a measurement of intelligence is the ability to recognize the room that you have entered. Immediately you enter the room, you just have an understanding of the laws that the room is governed by. Because every room has laws, even if they don't say it, you know. In your house, you might not have it written on a placard that don't scatter my fridge this way. It doesn't look like that law is there. But scatter the fridge first. And you know that there's a big Ten Commandments in that house that is invisible. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? Do we get the analogy? You know. So every room has laws. Even though it's not written, there's no way you go that law is not there. Law is necessary for life to be sustained. Law is essential. It must be there. So in every room, in every group, in every organization, there are written laws and there are unwritten laws. For example, you enter into a new workspace. Abi, won't you see that there's a way people do things, there's a way they don't talk, there's a way they talk. Abi, true or false? You know? So laws fundamentally keep things sustained. And just like you, where you enter into an office, right? If someone likes you, they say, Tolu, come, come, come. You see, hmm, that particular uh, chairman there, that one, if he tell me to do something, just doing work. Don't talk back. Just do the work so that they can be peace because he gets strong hair. Don't, you know, talk anyhow, you know. He's teaching you how to flourish in that atmosphere based on the laws that are there. So just like where you enter into, eh, so of course I'm in the spirit. I know now why I talk, I'm not say I don't talk. <laughs> you know? Just like the way, just like the way we, you enter into that office space or someone tells you, hey, things function this, this, this way. Also, we have entered into a world, a universe that has been there before us. Look at this whole world like that office. And many people have been working here long before us. And they know how it functions based on their experience here. And they've seen when you do wickedness to a, per, a particular place, that wickedness has been done sooner or later must come back. Why? Because everything returns to its point of origin. Life is a circle. So if wickedness comes out from you, where is wickedness going to return to? I'm asking. You. Same principle. It's universal. It's, it's, it's the same. That's why the person who started by saying boomerang, I told you that was wisdom because it's, life is a boomerang. Whatever goes around comes around. So there are many people who have been here for a long, long time. And they wrote and say, hey, listen to me, you people now. This wickedness that you're doing, even if they did wicked to you, this wickedness that you're doing, that you think that you're doing wicked is going to solve the problem, you are going to invite an even bigger catastrophe for yourself. So when Jesus Christ said you, 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 you deal with your enemies by loving them, it's the truth. It's the truth. That's when fire comes on their head. And when the Bible says fire on their head, when the Bible, talk, when the Bible talks about fire, it talks about purification. It talks about cleansing. You see. Now, understand what's going on in this conversation. I started with Bereshit, Bera Elohim. Now I'm explaining the concept of it. Are you following what I'm saying? 
I'm explaining the concept of it. So I'm not just teaching scripture in this moment. I'm teaching the spirit of scripture. I'm teaching the concept of it, the nature of it, and how it expresses in different aspects of our lives. Do you guys understand that? You know? So my hope is that we leave this conversation not remembering much of what I've said, but remembering very well the spirit of what I've said. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Understand? Yes. So repeating my words, I honestly, I don't care much for that. I want the spirit to emboss itself in us so that we can start to see it by ourselves and create our own words, create our own languages based on the spirit that um, confidence, I hope you're not trying to round up. Time is going now. <laughs> you know? So the point is for us to understand the spirit of things. Because when we understand the spirit, you know, we can start to extract light in different, 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 different places. So for example, two days ago, right? Someone put on a group chat. She asked a question about David and Jonathan. What if I told you I'd never read the scripture before? I've not read the story before. But the moment she put it down, because the principle, the spirit was in my heart, as I looked at it, it opened in front of me. And I went further and actually went to Kings. As I read the first verse, it opened in front of me. And as it opened, it connected to this, it connected to that, connected to this, connected to that. And that's why you saw I started writing all the connections. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. You understand? Yeah. Because when the spirit is understood, it automatically connects everything that is associated with it, whether you've experienced that particular form or not. You know. So it's important that we start to understand the spirit, the essence, the nature of things. Because that's what will help us to understand the way that essence is expressed, the way that form is expressed. Because God is not limited to any form that we can conceive of in our mind. Whether it's the form that it used to meet us when we were 15, whether it's the form it used to meet us when we were 12, whether it's the form it used in the book of in the New Testament. Didn't you see in Exodus chapter 3 when Moses met God? Uh, on Mount Sinai, and he said to him, I am, I am that I am. In Hebrew, it says, Eheye Asher Eheye, which literally translates to be, I will be what I will be. He said, I'm the very same Jehovah that was the God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Didn't we look at that with, with um, some curiosity? This was a different person introducing himself to Moses, but saying, I'm the same Jehovah. Are we understanding what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. A yeah. different person introducing himself to Moses, but he's the same person. Because I can have Toby in front of me, I can have Angela in front of me. They are two different people, but they are one humanity, true or false. True. Right? Yeah. If I look inside of your physical bodies, I'll see the same laws functioning there. This one has um, heart. This one has kidney, this one has lungs, this one has liver. 
right? So even though on one hand, I say two different people in front of me, on another hand, I can say the same person is in front of me. And that's how the wise men think. And that's what Jesus Christ said, love your neighbor as yourself. Because your neighbor is yourself. You are different, but you are still the same. Do you get what I'm saying? You are different from your neighbor, but you are also your neighbor. And how will you know? Hurt your neighbor first. Let Nigeria eh, hurt Kotonou. Let Nigeria hurt uh, uh, Niger Republic. Let them hurt all those neighboring countries that they are related with. And see if in a couple of years, they won't suffer for that. You understand? If England hurts Wales, hurts Scotland, hurts Italy, hurts Spain, eventually that pain that they gave to Italy, to Scotland, to, to Spain, will come back to them. See how we're hurting the trees, we're killing the animals, we're burning the forest. Is it not coming back to affect us? The ozone layer, is it not weakening? And ex excessive sunlight entering into the planet. So that tells us that you and the trees are the same. You and the donkey are the same. Just expressed differently. You know? Oye, what's the question? Um, I want to, you were, oh my God. Um, you were talking about human beings and how they were like one and the same. Um, like, to, is it like in terms of form, like you exist in the same form or is it another thing? The form differs, the spirit is same. So in this regard, the spirit of humanity, you can say eyeball, heart, kidney, lung, etc. Right? But that same principle, that same spirit, that same essence has 7 billion variations. You get my point? Yes. But it's still one thing. So God is like that. Right? And next week, we will go into bara. Today, we only talk about the first word. <laughs> Are you mind blown? <laughs> so today, we talked about only bare sheets. And even my explanation is still very, very basic because it gets so much more deeper than this, but we just talked about only bare sheets now. There's still bara. There's still Elohim. By the time we get to Elohim, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Until then. <laughs> so yes, you know, Bereshit, Bereshit, Ba'in, Rashit, highest, Ba'in, Rashit, beginning. The place that is higher than all things is the place from where all things began. And the place that all things began is a place that all things must end. Because reality is a cycle. Creation comes to be when God breathes out. Creation ceases to be when God breathes in. And that cycle, we see it in different places and forms. Nations are born, they unfold, bara and they crumble, they disappear, you know. And that's how life is, it's in cycles. So everything is created in God. Everything is within God. God is a circle. 
God is a planet. God is a body. But are you conscious of, you, of the fact that you're in that body? Are you aware of it? Yes, you're an offspring of God, but are you aware of it? Awareness is not about you intellectually saying, I'm aware. Awareness is your state of being. And it must express itself in your character. You know. The degree to which we are aware of our sonship to God is the degree to which we express it naturally. Without trying. You don't try to be kind. You don't try to be patient. You don't try to be humble. You just are. Do you know what I'm saying? You don't try to eat rice or eat food. You just eat because that's what you are. It's spontaneous, you see. The more conscious of God we become, the more like God we, we act naturally. So when we're still having some funny, funny, you know, wonderful behaviors, we know how much of ourselves are unconscious of our sonship to God, you know. Then no one has to tell us, even if we... We quote all the scripture in the world as people like to do, oh, I'm the righteousness of God. Oh, yes, it's true, but are you conscious of it? Are you conscious of it? Is it being expressed through you? Is your life testifying of it? Are you an alphabet? Are you a Hebrew alphabet? Or are you pidgin English? <laughs> Abi, understand the analogy? You know, are we a Hebrew alphabet? Or we pigeon English. And that's why. Ah, Holy Spirit. God, God, God. Thank you so much. Oh, Jesus. Woo! <laughs> God has blew my mind. That's why I'm laughing like this. You know? <laughs> Jesus Christ, they came to Jesus and they said, Oh, who posted this big guy? Okay. Um... Um, hold on, hold on. Ah, your question is so big, Ayamide. Hold on, let me just say this, then I'll attend to your question, okay? So, they came to Jesus Christ, and they said, show me a sign. Ah, this is deep, so I want us to pay attention. It relates to what we're talking about. They said, show me a sign. And he said to them, this wicked generation asked for a sign, but the only sign they shall see is the sign of Jonah. Jonah. Now, that word sign in Hebrew is the word ot. And ot literally means symbol. It means letter. They're literally saying, show me a letter. Show me an expression and characteristic of God that verifies yourself. So when you talk about signs, it's not about, it's not about um, physical it's not about physical, uh, you know, make someone disappear or make hand grout. They're asking, show me how your life is a letter of God. I want to see it. Do you understand that? It's very deep, but I hope yeah. we're able to grasp. So, so, so if I come to you, Tony, Tony says, oh, I'm a chosen one. I'm blah, I'm this. I say, okay, Tony, show me a letter. And then Tony now shouts, what do you mean? Do you think that I, I, I don't, for, for the fact that she shouted like that, she has shown me the letter that she is. She's not a Hebrew letter, she's a broken English. Make sense? You understand? So many times God will come to you. Who understand? 
So, Mona, so tell me, why, why are you yeah, confused? This stuff you just said now, I mean, this thing is fine. I don't get. I'm trying to follow, but I'm lost. Okay, uh, you, you got lost because you didn't understand, you didn't hear when I was explaining what sign is. The word translated I as sign. I didn't get. Okay, okay. Okay, listen. The word translated as sign in Hebrew is the word ot. And ot literally means letter. I explained earlier that language is a material medium by which spiritual reality expresses itself. If the language you have is beautiful, it will easily bring out spiritual realities to earth. If the language you have is very poor, it brings energy from hell to earth. So a word of blessing is a word that has been arranged in a way that it's a channel for heavenly life. A word that is a curse is a word that has been arranged in such a way that is a channel for hellish life, quote unquote. So I said, just like that, that's why Paul said, you are my letters of Christ not written with ink, but by the Holy Spirit. Because every single person is a book. Every single person is a letter. But what are your letters saying? Are your letters of the high Hebrew language, the high Latin language, the high Mandarin, or is it broken English? Hebrew language represents a language that is, you know, constructed in a beautiful way that it's, brings out the life and beauty of God easily without stress, you know. But broken English is something that is broken and life can't flow. It's just like a pipe, you know. There's a source from which water is coming. But if the pipe is not channeled properly, the water doesn't flow. True or false? Huh? True. True. Yeah? True. Muna, are you following? Yes, I am. So when they asked Jesus Christ, show me a sign, this was a, rab a, a rabbinical um, question. It's not just a random question. It's what a rabbi will ask a rabbi. Show me a sign. Show me a characteristic. Show me a nature. And he told them, the sign I have for you is Yonah, which is the Hebrew letters Yod, Nun, and He, which is very deep, you know, but that's another thing entirely. But in a summary, the sign of Yonah is someone who enters into the depth of the self and resurrect out. So he told them, he said, the sign that you people are going to get is the one of destruction for the new birth to come out of you. And that's what happened. The sign of Yonah happened to them. The Hebrew land was destroyed to pieces. There was nothing left, not a stone left upon another. And they were cast out into diaspora for 2,000 years before they just um, gathered their land in the 1930s. So literally, the sign of Yonah happened to them. That is the death which gives way for resurrection. So that's what he said to them. Like I said, it's very deep, you know, but we'll have to really go into letters later on in time for us to, there's a lot we're going to learn, you know, but each letter has a character that it conveys. Each word has a character that it conveys. Onyechi, I'll tell you, don't worry. So, um, 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 okay, I'm just trying to write down the different things we've spoken about so that I can use to create our assignment and study guide, you know. So, so yeah, everyone is a letter. 
everyone is a verse, everyone is a story. But what are your letters saying? What is your story communicating? What is being expressed through you? It's a question to ask. So on that note, um, let me first of all, um, someone asked a question. That's um, um, Bruno. So Bruno says, I kind of wonder whether my question is a digression, but I have grappled with this verse for a long time regarding the point that we all exist in Christ. So Ephesians chapter one verse 10 says that in the dispensation of the, okay, wow, this question is so long. I wish you had um, said it out audibly. Um, Bruno, how about you say the question out so that you know, it's faster that way. Okay, um, what I'm trying to say is the verse I posted, Ephesians mm. 1.10, uh, mm. tells us that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, mm. God is going to gather all things in Christ, as things in heaven and things on yes. earth, even in him. Yeah. Yes. So um, regarding one aspect of this, um, issue you talked about that we all existed in Christ. Um, mm. This verse seems to approach it to an angle that all things, all concepts are going to be gathered into Christ. In other words, things are going yes. to find expression and meaning in Christ. Yes. And I was like, yes, it's easy to see that uh, concepts like fatherhood, marriage are going to have their ultimate meaning in Christ. What about yes. things which, you know, tend to which are negative, you know, like sin, for instance, as individual as they can be, how will, you know, they find a, a meaning in this context? Is God going to gather such negative things into Christ to make them find some expression or meaning in Christ? I mean, I, I want us to understand that because we were from Genesis chapter one, right? That everything originated from Christ, isn't it? You know, a lie cannot exist without the truth, true or false. True. So at the foundation of every lie is truth. So if I tell you that every lie is a truth that is just distorted, I'm not lying. So ultimately, all lies will find themselves back to where they began, truth. And that's why Paul said, three things can't be hidden forever. The sun, the moon, and the truth. Because no matter how long one lies, a lie is a temporary thing. It's, it's an illusion. It's not real. It will eventually dissolve and the truth will remain. So everything that exists, bad, good, whatever, it will eventually dissolve. To come back to its original state as truth. But even as they are not dissolved and they are present, they have their, they have their purpose in life. Although this is a completely different conversation, this is this is the conversation that relates with the doctrine of Satan and the good and evil, and you know it'll take us into um, and I I I I wouldn't want to touch it. It's a very big um, subject that I don't want to touch without expanding it properly. You know, but I'll say this: the reason why your bone is strong and sturdy. Is because gravity is consistently putting pressure upon you. So the strength of the bones in your body 
is dependent on the fact that there is something to oppose it. Do you understand? Yeah. So when you look at the Bible, for example, you see that in the times when the Christians were persecuted, the persecution made them actually greater and stronger. You know? And we also see in Egypt, when Pharaoh increased the punishment on the, on the Israelites, they became mightier and greater. So the enemy, the opposition, is something that is actually necessary for your growth. Because growth cannot, cannot happen unless there is a challenge around you. You see? And that's why when you go to a classroom where everyone is slow and dull, no one can be smart because people can only evolve when they are talented. And that's why you see now in Nigeria, the tech industry is beginning to evolve because some strong players are coming. And each player tackles each player. You know, Arsenal is strong because of Manchester United. Manchester United is strong because of West Ham. West Ham is strong because of Man City. They all need enemies in order to increase. And this is what the knowledge of good and evil teaches us because both of them are essential for life to be whole. So yes, even evil has its expression and purpose in God. I don't even get my point. But not evil in the way that we normally call it. When God talks about evil, it's still good. It's just good expressed in a way that tears something down. You know, because there's a time to build something and there's a time to tear it down. Creation and destruction are two halves of life. Nothing is supposed to live eternally in a particular form. Forms have to die because forms begin. Spirit does not begin. Albert Einstein said, energy is not created or destroyed, but converted from one form to another. Spirit doesn't have beginnings. Spirit is exactly the yin and yang. The yin and yang is a symbol from eternity. It's not a, it's not a physical symbol. That is a symbol that teaches about the Bible in the most profound way. It speaks of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. It speaks of heaven and earth. It speaks of everything. If one actually looks into the symbol, the dance of the light and darkness, how each of them have their purpose that they are playing out. You see? There's a time where goodness becomes evil and there's a time when evil becomes good. Because if you have a child and the time comes for you to flog that child in his buttocks, but you rub his head, you have committed an evil to that child. True or false? True. And if the time comes for you to rub the child on his head and you whip the buttocks, you've committed an evil as well. So good and evil have their expression and function inside of God, inside of Christ, and they all have their place. So what Paul is talking about here, all things will not be in him, is when there is a reconciliation. Because right now there's no reconciliation. People are either black or white. They are Jew or Greek. They are bond or free. African, American, Chinese, everyone is division. There's no integration, there's no unity, there's no understanding of the purpose of every single person. Inside of your physical body, your lung has a purpose, your kidney has a purpose, your liver has a purpose, which are complementary to one another, you see? Your body functions because Christ is in operation there. What do I mean? Everything is working in unity. Everything knows its place. No one is fighting this and that. Everything knows the purpose of everything. You have bacteria in your body and bacteria is one of the reasons why your body is able to maintain its form. You need it. You know. So someone like Jesus Christ, I was discussing with my friend yesterday. There was a time when he also became a Satan. 
to the Pharisees. When he started to tempt them, he said things that he knew were going to bring out their pride. Are you getting my point? Did I I shake you too much? (laughs) If you look at the Bible, you see that there are a lot of different things that were called Satan. Satan is not a person. Satan is a principle. And many different things can represent that principle. For example, Balaam, when a donkey was talking to him, saying, don't you see that angel? That angel, go and check it, was called Satan. Roles, exactly, confidence, roles. So Satan is a role in nature. Satan is a principle. And anything can take the form of that. Your mom can become Satan to you. It's true. Your daughter can become Satan. Your job can become Satan. You understand? And whenever Satan appears, two things can happen. Either you go up or you go down. But once Satan happens, movements must happen. That's it. So either you fall into that temptation and become less than you are, or you overcome that temptation and become greater than you are. When Satan appears, there must be movement. Impossible for there not to be movement. You must move. The question is, will you move up or you move down? You move up if you remember God in that moment. And you allow him to define that experience for you and teach you how to move through it, as Jesus Christ did in the wilderness. But if you forget God, you become completely subservient to all your physical cries and this, then you become less than the person that you are. And tomorrow you will have to fight an even greater Satan to come out. But like I said, this will take us to a whole different, you know, like I said, this. But do you understand? Has it brought some meaning? Yes. 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 So much meaning. So much meaning. God bless you. But these are things that we're actually going to develop, you know, coming for us. So don't worry. We're going to take everything stage by stage and everything will connect to everything. Right? So Martin and another girl had their hands up. Please, could you put it back up again, please? Martin. Yes. Um, Go ahead. Yes. Hello. I just had a question while you were speaking of about everything. I was wondering how can a person um, engage the Holy Spirit in order to receive like certain revelations that you're speaking of? Because me personally, I find it a little challenging Um, reading the Bible. And I understand that, you know, we cannot rely on our own understanding. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. However, you know, how can a person, you know, have the Holy Spirit speak to them as well and let them know like these deeper things? Like, that's my question. Okay. In life, if I have a child and child is, happens to be growing around me, my role as a father is to create an environment in which what that child is, that is the real essence and nature of the child, unfolds naturally without me tampering with it. Any tampering that looks like I'm tampering is not really a tampering, but it's just me trying to make sure that that life comes out the way it's supposed to be. I'm not there to make that child a reflection of myself. I'm just there to allow that child to grow and I'm ready to experience the child as it is. However it wants to unfold, I'm there to experience it. But oftentimes as human beings, we don't like to experience people. Sometimes we would like to make them 
to reflect us, to reflect our concepts, our ideals, and we, we want it the way we want it. And we don't know that things are much more beautiful and valuable when they unfold the way they want. I don't read the Bible in the sense that I am looking for anything. If I open the Bible, I'm not looking for anything. And this is something to remember. When you open the Bible, don't look for anything. Enter there to let something look for you. And when it looks for you, you will know because it will grab your face like this. And once it grabs you, you see yourself, ah, Jesus, let me go and ask this person this. Let me go and check that. Do you get my point? Yes. <laughs> you understand? Let it grab you. Even if 100 things go over your head, there's that one thing that is ready to sit on your head till you answer it. You just have to be patient and let it come. Don't read verse and be looking for things. It will frustrate you and you'll be using your strength all the time. Let it come. Don't look for things. And if you can't find it, fine. There's no need. Don't rush. Life is long, you know. The whole point of all these conversations is to energize our minds and, you know, because the Bible is always speaking, you see? It's always jumping out at us. But the degree to which we have perception is the degree to which we will see it jump. So everything I'm doing now is to fine tune our perception so that we can start seeing things that we didn't see before because it's there and it's always speaking. It's not like the Bible speaks today and doesn't speak tomorrow, no. It's we who our eyes closes. You get my point? Everything is always speaking. Everything is always manifesting. The question is, are we able to perceive, you know? So when we engage the Bible, Holy Spirit of God, that which you have for me today, may I receive it in Jesus' name. And that thing that he may have for you today might just be patience and learn how to not receive anything and be fine with it. It's true. And you should be ready to take that with joy, happily, because that is a beautiful teaching. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I understand. Thank you. Does it help you? Yes. Awesome, awesome. So yeah, you know, let's approach the Bible like that. Not as the Bible, but people too. You know, experience a person. Get to know what they are, good or bad. Because if we don't experience what a person is, we don't actually, first of all, accept what they are. We can't really help them. Because the person is shouting, shouting, shouting at you. But if you actually listen to their shouts, they are actually crying. I know if you guys understand that. Someone can be shouting and abusing you, but what is really going on is that they are crying. Their cry is just expressing itself as a shout. And if you are able to listen to them very well, you will know that it's tears that are flowing. So they are shouting at you, and your normal response to a shout is a response to a shout, but you don't know that what is happening is someone crying. And you're supposed to respond to them as someone crying. And you're wondering why the fire won't quench. How would the fire quench? This person is not shouting. They're crying. And you don't know that in this moment, you're supposed to treat them like a crying baby. But you're treating them as something else. That's because we don't listen. There are some people, you think they are so troublesome, these, but sometimes they just want someone who just give them a hug. Or just actually tell them sorry. Or just tell them, your opinion has some merit. Because people who are, and in my experience, because I've been teaching for some time, I've met different kinds of people. You meet them, once they just enter the group, no, no, I don't agree with you. They argue, argue, argue. When I see such people, I don't fight them. 
because I know that they are projecting on me the experience of a previous teacher and they assume that I'm going to invalidate everything that they are. Such people, all they need is, yeah, yeah what they're saying is true, there's truth. Look at this as well, you know. They're not really trying to argue with you. They're just used to people shutting them down and no one ever giving them space to speak. So when I recognize that, I let them speak. And you see, after one week, two weeks, this person that came in very hot, ah, they were the one that we're messaging all the time, right? <laughs> you know, when we listen, you know, when we listen to people, when we listen, we experience them. And when we experience them, we know how to work with them. And it applies with everything in life, you know. So yeah, I hope from all this plenty mumbo jumbo, we've been able to get one or two to help us get on with the rest of our day. Thank God for all that has happened. Yeah, so on that note, as we do, I'd like a few of us to um, give a kind of recap, one or two things that we um, learned or that stood out to us from this conversation. So yeah, I'm interested. Who's gonna go first? Okay, confidence. Okay, oh, go sorry. ahead. Yeah. No, no, no. Um, confidence, please go ahead. Why not? Go ahead. Actually, my okay. hands were raised before the recap. Ah. Um, okay, tell so me, tell I, me. I'm really, first of all, thank you so much. I'm really excited to be a part of this community. I already see everyone as my family, even though I'm so mm. new. But I'm really, really excited. And because I see us as family now, I wanted to just quickly share um, sort of a revelation I had a couple of days ago while I was praying. I wrote it down. I will just read it out quickly, if you don't mind. No problem. This was on the 31st of um, October, the last day of October. As I was praying, I heard that there is an awakening. Sons and daughters of God who have been asleep are awakening. Their conscious and subconscious mind is being awakened to the divine deposits within them. I saw safes that had been deposited in them before they were formed. Then ministering angels started helping them to realize the codes and unlocked the safe. And there was a burst of light and they were able to tap into wells dug generations before them to access a wealth of capacity and resources. They had access to the overflow and began to carry out activities that were, inhum that were humanly impossible. The limitless God became their operating system. Divine strategies and new levels were unlocked. Scientific breakthroughs, philosophical advancements, and so much more. I'm sharing this because I'm sharing this because um, hearing um, from when I saw the topic of today's discussion, as well as when. I was studying today Hebrews, um, Hebrews chapter five, when he was talking about you needing teachers to teach you because you do not know, you know, and you need to now know the basic things. You need to start from the scratch. And then now hearing you talk for the past couple of hours, it was like everything just came together. And I just want to encourage as many people who are listening right now and are feeling like, you know, it's too complicated. A lot of things are not making sense. You feel like you're not flowing. Don't worry. There, it's because the safes are being unlocked, you know, and light is bursting forth. So it seems like you're being overwhelmed, but you're not. 
if you were not meant to be in this box right now, you wouldn't be here. There's a reason why you're in this box. And in due season, it will all unfold. So this is just me encouraging whoever needs to hear this. God bless you. And thank you so much, Oshaka, for allowing, allowing yourself to be used by God and diffusing the fragrance of his knowledge here. Thank you. God bless you. God bless. Thank you so much for that confidence. That was um, very wonderful. Thank you for that. That was very on point. Very, very on point. God bless you. God bless you. So, yeah. Amazing, amazing. So, hugs for everyone. <laughs> Alana, go ahead. All right. Oye, talk to me. Um. Honestly, I didn't even like expect what was going to happen today. In fact, I didn't even know today was Tuesday. I have been in mm. such a, a terrible, terrible situation. So like when today just came, I was like, hmm, I don't think I'm going to join today. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't regret it. And usually when I don't regret something, it means most of the time that it's a good thing. Um, Amen. I've learned a lot um like from someone who used to look at god as god on paper ah i say this a lot but like i I looked at god as like god on paper like just god like this abstract guy not guy abstract like when people say god they're just saying god for fun but it has just like (laughs) it has like opened my mind to this fact that like i am a part of this being like i've never looked at genesis this way i've like encountered like maybe small small revelation and i'll be screaming but this one i have to lie down i'll wake up like no not wake up but like i'll sit up i'm like what and then yeah it was just you know it just shows me that i'm like what i've learned is that i'm really like a part of him um yes i'm a part of this cycle and that's something i never really understood before i always felt like he was far away and or he was this like i don't know how to explain it so like now with this explanation like whenever i pray i will know that like obviously i will still exercise my faith more like i I have to exercise my faith more with the knowledge that now like that i am awake hopefully awake Mm. and part of him and Mm. know that he can hear me and knowing that he's not God on paper, like he's not, he's not yes. God with no, like, with no meaning inside. Like he's not just a concept. He's actually like there. Um, yes. And he's, he's not just some guy that's far away in heaven or far away in Israel or far away in Jerusalem. I always wondered why, why did he choose Jewish people? Does he not like black people? But that's not, that's not like, I was just, it was something I used to wonder, um, but it never really mattered. I, it was just, I was curious. Um, so yeah, I'm just going to see what I've learned. Um, yeah. So I kind that, um, when you were talking about how, we were expressions of who he is, like of who God is of Christ. Now everything like is born in, is created from Christ, who is the head of all things. And like, I can't lie. <laughs> like when I feel something is heavy, like I just feel full. And I it makes, it made a lot of sense and how we were like hmm. 
expressions and letters of Christ. And it just mm, beautiful. Um, um and like whether you are expressing it properly i don't know it, and also like the thing about being awake like we're still we're, we're part of god but like if you're not conscious of the fact that you're part of god then <sighs> anyway yeah if you're, you're part, not conscious but you live as though you're not yeah exactly you're not asleep so like when you're like it made the explanation of being born again it make made it make sense so like when you're born again you now awaken to the cycle and you now awaken to like like what is going on and that's when like the word revival comes in and like sugar beautiful so much sense like that's what it means for you to experience a revival when you're actually awake to what is going on um in ah oh, wow I, I pray that like because things will seem so coherent at first and then when i try to explain it it becomes incoherent and i just get so disappointed but like it just makes a lot of sense the word revival and honestly i was determined to learn hebrew at first but then I, I got discouraged but now i'm actually going to try and learn hebrew like no one can stop me because i need to learn hebrew <laughs> because, yeah um Wow, it's a lot. Also, there was this um this person that was asking about Ephesians and how everything existed in Christ and and the Bible and um under the authority. So basically, what I got, what I I no, what I got, what I understood from it is that you won't. What? Wait, let me look at his question because when I had it, I actually had to check and see. Hey, I left the chat. Sorry. Um, yeah, basically, my conclusion is that everything will be subjected under the authority of Christ. So everything will go in the proper systems that it's meant to. If you are not going in the cycle um, that you are meant to, when one day when everything is subjected under the authority, you will go in the in like how it's meant to go. So where sin belongs, it will go running under the authority of christ and who he is which is separate from sin so yeah you will everyone will still be under the authority of christ but not everyone will be in christ if that makes sense i don't know not everyone will be conscious of it because on a, grand, on a grand level on a grand level i'll tell you a secret as there are demons who do bad things from the perspective of a demon right mm-hmm. he's not a bad person like you know, you wake up in the morning for the fact that you have demand for chicken. Your demand for chicken guarantees that someone out there will kill a chicken, true or false? Yeah. From the chicken's perspective, you are, you are, you are a monster <laughs> because <laughs> you are just terrorizing them and their family. From the perspective of a cow, what is wrong with these people? They're just killing us every day, you know? So from the cow's perspective, from your perspective, you don't see you killing the cows, anything wrong. You're just trying to survive. That's how the demon thinks too. The demon thinks it's good that you're bad. That's just it. You get my point? That's why just guys could have compassion and even the most people, the worst of people because they don't know what they're doing. As far as they're concerned, they're doing a good thing. Just like you wake up and you kill an animal to eat, you're doing a good thing, you know? So it gets to a point 
when one becomes very conscious of the authority of God, that they can play the angel or play the demon. Does anyone understand what I just said? Consciously. Yep. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? One can get to that level where they can play the angel or demon and they're not sinning. That's why an angel of death can come and kill people. Do you get my point? That's why it could happen. And it didn't sin. Because death must happen. But the question is, is it happening under the divine order and arrangement? It's deep. It's very deep. You know. So one can play the role of the angel or the demon. It must be played. The question is, are you playing it consciously or unconsciously? Everything is about consciousness. Everything is about awareness. The angel of death, though it's killing, is completely conscious of the will of God and it will never go beyond its jurisdiction ever. Also, the angel is conscious of the will of God and it will never go beyond its jurisdiction because some of us, we say we're kind, but our kindness goes beyond the bounds. And it becomes too much to the point that it starts to enable evil to exist. There's a time you must slap someone so they can stop what they're doing. It's true. It must happen. And there's a time you must hug someone. All these things have their place. The question is, are you doing it in alignment with God? So don't think God can make someone slap someone. He can't. Definitely. Just as kind of whip and flog the temple, people in the temple. But it was within the rudiments of the will of God. And it had its purpose to bring forth life. When you are in the will of God, whatever you do will bring life. Whether it's a cane on someone's back or it's a pillow for their head, it will bring life. But when you're out of alignment with God, your pillow will bring death, your cane will bring death. Make sense? Yeah. Do you understand? Yeah? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. You understand that? I'm just building on what you said. What you said was so beautiful. Are you, are you there? I'm there. I'm there. I'm listening. Aha. So, just like you said, everything is still under the authority of Christ, and it is. Pharaoh was under God's authority, but Pharaoh was unconscious. He didn't know that he was a robot being controlled. But it's possible that one can be conscious of it, and you do it consciously. But that's a whole another level of depth. Just want to throw it out there. So yeah. Oh, you do you have anything else you want to say? No, I'm just going to go and just think about everything I've learned today. Thank you. <laughs> God bless you. You're welcome. Tony, talk to me. Okay. So um, while you were talking about the being conscious part, an illustration came to mind hmm. of a person that is in a bad mood and the person is just walking alongside maybe like planted flowers and person is just stepping on those flowers without being aware or maybe the person is just plucking the flowers as they're walking by. Bye. Persons at that moment, can you hear me? I can hear you, but you can't for like seven seconds. Oh, sorry. So like the person at that moment is unconscious of their actions, that hmm. they are killing the poor flowers. Hmm. So like that's the illustration that came to mind. So yes, aside from that, one thing that I would say that I learned from today, or one thing that 
like I got an expression of which I've been getting since I found myself in heaven's gate is that the distance between myself and God keeps getting shorter. Like, like when you said, God, I always see God as like, he's on the throne, I'm at the feet of the step. Like, he's on the throne, very, very, very high throne, and I'm at this, like, last step, kneeling down and begging for him to just hear me. But with all I've learned, and especially with this, he's much closer than, he's becoming more closer. Like, I'm seeing him, like, almost eye to eye. And the thing that really stood out to me is when you said the degree of our awareness is the manifestation of it. That the more we are aware of our being in Christ, the more we are aware of our link with Christ. And now we are like an extension, let's say an extension or like extension, are, yes, you're right. Yeah, like an extension of Christ. That is the more. It's to show in the things we do, just like the yes. illustration you gave. Like when you are aware of like eating, it shows by you actually performing the action of eating. So then, like, I also need to just lie down and reflect on everything <laughs> to let it sink in. But I really bless God and I thank God for what He's doing through this medium. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. So yeah, on the chat box, on the chat box, someone said something interesting. Someone associated this with Judas Iscariot and said, oh my gosh, that Judas analogy came to my head. Someone needs to play the role. It's left to choose if you play the role of the demon or the angel. Absolutely true. But it's important to say, play it consciously. To play the role of the angel or demon consciously one has to have good in them under their control. One has to have evil in them under their control. To have good in you under control, it means that you are kind. You are using kindness to do a thing. Kindness is not using you. When kindness starts to use you, when you are under the dominion of kindness and kindness is not under your dominion, that's when you give to someone something that you shouldn't be giving to them. And you think just because it's nice, that that's what's best for them. Do we understand that? You know, when you have good under your dominion, not you, not domin not you being subjected to dominion. When, do when, sorry, not when, whew, let me calm down, Holy Spirit, thank you. When you have good under subjection and you are not under subjection to good, you know to what extent you should do a nice thing. When you have evil under your subjection and you are not subjected to evil, you know to what extent you can do an evil thing. And that's why in the book of 1 Corinthians, ah, it's just small, so let, because I don't want us to go too far. In the book of 1 Corinthians, when is a particular brother who committed a crime with the church, he slept with his father's wife, Paul said, hand him over to Satan that he might his flesh might be destroyed, that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord. Now, the same Paul who said, deliver him to Satan, you know? And who knows what that could manifest as? Because like I said, Satan is a rogue. 
So that Satan could be so many things. Who knows? We don't know, but it's something that is going to come and destroy, you know. But in 2 Corinthians, the same power that initiated evil to that man is the same one that said, ah, oh, please, we're coming back with love, you know. Too much sorrow is not good. It's good he feels sorrow. Godly sorrow leads to repentance, but don't let it be too much. So that is someone who has evil in them under control. Do you get my point? There are times when I was small in primary school that they said they'll give me six lashes of cane to correct me. But I'm telling you, from the second lash I had legs, <laughs> that extra four was unnecessary, you know? They didn't need to flog me that extra four. From the second stroke, I had learned my lesson. Why are you giving me six? <laughs> and there were some times when I needed six, and they gave me only two. And I said, ah, you don't know what you have done. <laughs> you know? That's why we have some parents, you know, and usually it's, it happens more with moms because moms are compassionate. But compassion has its evil when it becomes too much. When it's time for the father to beat the boy. And mom say, please don't beat him. No, no, no. That's the point where her compassion has become evil. She is no longer in control of compassion. Compassion is not in control of her. Do we get my point? Do you understand that? Yeah. You know? And the same applies to the father. The time comes to beat, but he doesn't know when the beating has gotten too much. And that's why in a home, there's a necessity for the man and the woman because they both, ex they both represent two different polarities, which are very important for the development of a child. Important. You need the good cup and the bad cup. It's important, you know, because these are roles in nature that are very, it must be played. So someone had to play the Judas role. It had to happen. You can, someone who played unconsciously or someone who played consciously. Or someone has to play the role. Someone has to be the bad cop. Jesus Christ was the bad cop many times. Look at how he was poking people's pride. He flunked him. You were a fire on your head. He was the bad cop a lot. That was Satan. Because Satan extracts your carnal nature. But Christ extracts your light. So there were times when he goes to people. And his presence brings out the light in them. That's why someone who is sick. He brings out health from you. That's what the Christ does. It extracts the life that is within you. You know, you're a fisherman. He brings out an apostle from you. He extracts the light. But when he was with the Pharisees, he went to them and he extracted their darkness to make them see that they're filthy. That was the Satan. He was a Satan in that moment because that was what Satan does. He became a temptation to them. Let he that is without sin be the first to cast the stone. In that moment, all their flesh became obvious in their eye. So if we look very carefully, you see how Jesus Christ was Satan and Savior. Satan and Savior. That is what it means to be wise as a serpent, but gentle as a dove. Be destructive as a lion, but constructive as a lamb. These are roles in nature. Both are important. Ah, let's not go too deep tonight. Another time. <laughs> Anyway, let's have two more people. Uh... So Susan said, but in this role playing, aren't you portraying demons as good? I'm not portraying demons as good per se. I'm saying that the presence of a demon is important in one's growth. You have to have demons troubling, you know? You have to have opposition in your life. The things that play that opposition could be consciously playing it, 
That is, they are actually pure people, but they know that you need some challenges and they create it for you. Or it's things that are unconscious and just by their existence, they're just creating problems for you for no good reason. But nonetheless, you need that opposition. You need that tempter. You need that adversity in your life to grow. So adversity is not a bad thing. It's a good thing, you see. The question is, are we an adversary consciously or unconsciously? Most of the time, we're unconscious adversaries to people. Our very presence is like a Satan to them. And that's why they will fight and they get angry. Why oh, I don't like you. Yes. And it's not like you're trying to do it. It's just you, you know. But you can come to a point where you are a conscious adversary. And that's what a good teacher is. Like Jesus, you know, he will create problems for you. If you come to, for example, if, if Jesus Christ had a school, I'm sure that if he sees you, you're a rich man, you're used to people, you know, need down to you. When you come to his, his, his monastery, you say, okay, you rich man. Let me tell you, in this temple, everyone has a job that they do. For you, you're going to wash the toilets of the workers. The rich man will say, what? even look at what happened with that rich man. He said, the guy came to Jesus Christ. He said, master, I want to follow you. He said, okay, give away all your riches. You see? That was the moment of him being a Satan. He brought a challenge and adversity in front of him. Assuming that man took that challenge, he would have become greater. But he didn't. Instead, he abandoned the whole call entirely because that temptation was too great for him. Do you understand this picture I'm painting? Do you understand this? Yes. Wait, yeah. I have a question. Um, hmm. Actually, never mind. Don't worry. You sure? You sure yeah. you can come? Yeah. You understand? Mm-hmm. Okay. 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 Anyway, so anyway, this is a conversation that is not today's one. This is something else. We'll develop it at another time. You know. God bless your confidence. God created adversity for me when he asked me to give away my possessions. Now, if, if I didn't listen to him, and comply with him when he took my position. Something would have happened to collect it for me by force. But I needed that adversity. I needed those possessions to be taken from me. It's not because the possessions were bad. I just was too enslaved to it that the only way I could be delivered at that time was to cut it off. Because now I can go and buy those same. But the truth is that I don't really feel the need to buy those same clothes like I used to before. I don't feel the need to hustle to do all those things that I used to make money because. The things that drove me are gone. The problem wasn't the clothes. The problem was my esteem. And my need to look a certain type of way. When God took that need away, the things that were a consequence of that need also disappeared. So I don't feel the need anymore to get some stuff. So now tomorrow I can start to buy something, but I'm not buying it as a slave. I'm buying it as a free man. And why would God want to take anything from me when I'm not a slave to it? You see? So in that time, God created adversity for me. All of us here, some of us have been to the gym. When you go to the gym, you create adversity for yourself. That's what the gym is. The weight is an, an opposer. You press it and you gather strength. So adversity is good. And the same way we have enough intelligence to create adversity for ourselves in the form of the gym, God also creates adversity for us. We need it to grow, you know. Yeah, I think at this point, will be very tired by now. So I, I don't like to keep the conversation too long because I understand the mind, 
the mind only has a certain amount of battery. When you go beyond it, it becomes very exhausted. So I want us to end now, right? I'll be, aren't most of us tired? True or false? We are not tired, though. <laughs> <laughs> Look at this, Dan. You want to be politically correct. Okay, no problem. So yeah, two more people and then we close. Two people just give um, one or two things that stood out to you that you learned. And... Um, Who's going to go? Mm-hmm. Yes, your, your brain needs to breathe. It needs to breathe. And that's true. Yeah. So, um, Susan, what was the second question? Okay. Is, isn't Satan the same as Lucifer? <sighs> that's a whole study of its own that we have to investigate. But I'll just tell you straight up that no Satan is not Lucifer. Satan is not Lucifer. The word Lucifer, let's say, that is, a, that, is, that is a whole word of question. I don't like to just give an answer without building a house. Because if I say Satan is not Lucifer, it doesn't do anything for you but cause all kinds of contradictions that will leave you to have headache over the next couple of days. So that's why I don't like answering questions when I'm not, I don't have time to unfold them properly. You get what I'm saying? You know? So it's best. Exactly. So I don't just like to say yes or no there has to be an explanation to give you something to work with, you know. So let's keep that, we'll tackle that at, at, at another time, you know. So that's keeping it in the back pocket. Yeah. So yeah, I think, Anu, you want to say something? Yeah, um, I wanted to explain something that I think I go and understand now tonight. So um, I think about two weeks ago, someone asked me a question and said, why do you think God is real? Why do you say God is real? And I always used to think that whenever I would be asked that question, I would like start blabbing and giving answers, but I froze sort of. And I feel like tonight I had like a lot of moments where I was like, oh yeah, like I see it now. I see why I was unable to put into words how I know God is real or how I can explain that God is to me. So um, one of the things that I think I really took from here is God is not limited by any form that we can conceive in our mind. Mm. So God is in everything and everyone. And I think the part where you said that divinity exists in every single one of us and we carry a piece of divinity as well was something that um, just really opened my mind as well to understand that, you know, God God is in me. God is in everything I do. God is in everything I say. God is who he is. He can't be quantified and he can't be qualified. He can't be compared to anything. So I think that was one thing I understood from tonight. And one of the other things that stood out for me was just how you kept repeating that, you know, life is in life is in a circle so there's like so many there are like so many things that just go round and round and I think the way that my brain could break it down was you um I think you mentioned something about um creating your words with care something about understanding how things like you know what you send out basically so you said something about if you send out evil ultimately evil will come back to you sort of and in my head, the easiest way that I could break it down was if you do anyhow, you'll see anyhow, basically. <laughs> Perfect. 
you know, it just made me think to be careful and be watchful in everything I put out. So sometimes, you know, we say, oh my God, I feel like there's so much negativity around me, blah, blah, blah. And this has helped me to, you know, say, okay, so whenever I go through times like that, I need to pause and check myself. Like, is the reason I'm getting so much negativity around me is because I'm putting out the same um, energy out there and things like that. So yeah, that's just something small that I've learned today. Amazing, amazing. Thank you for that, Anna. That was a wonderful reflection. Thank you, thank you. Hi, um... I just wanted to remind, well, not remind, like one of the things you said was that the, when you're conscious of God and the more conscious of God you are, the easier it is to be like God. You don't need to stress yourself about being kind or you don't need to force yourself to be patient. You just are because he is and you are conscious of the him that is in you and that you are him and he is you. You know, that seamless that flow, that connection, that circle, you know, that is God and that is you at the same time. And then um, two things that I wanted to um, talk about with relation to what you said today. Um, there's something a friend of a friend of mine and I will call God, we call him the greatest concept. And that comes from the, the analogy that everything, there are precepts and there are concepts. Precepts, are, for example, um, orange, no, no, lemon, lime, orange, they're all called, they're precepts. And then the concept of those things is called citrus. Then you have citrus, then you have banana, then you have coconut, they're precepts. And then the concept is fruits. And then you have fruits and then you have vegetables and the concept, you know, it goes on and on plants. And then yeah. you keep having this precepts and then you then have the concept. But when you, you, call all the concepts you can call in this life to the point of man being a concept and then living being, being a concept. The concept where no concepts extends any further is God, where you can no longer conceptualize him under anything and make him a precept. And so when you, when you get to understand that in the beginning or in beginning or in highest now makes more sense because he is the highest. He is the concept above which no other concepts can come and when you know that he from him there's a song that says if for from you are all things and to you are all things you know it's, it's a seamless flow and it's just a beautiful thing and the second thing i wanted to say there's this song that says so we lie billion times by i think hill song yes and they said uh, with no point of reference, he spoke a thing and they came out. This morning when I was listening, I was laughing. I was like, it's a lie. There was, a was point the point of, of reference. reference. There was a, yes. He was the point of reference, <laughs> you know? And it's beautiful when we understand this biblical um, um, truths and scriptural um, foundations. You are, you are not gullible anymore. You start to understand because you've, it's like a map. You understand the guidelines. So things just connect. The way you said you had never read about Jonathan and David, but because you understood the concepts, you understood the, 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 the foundations, it just connected. So I, yeah, it was just beautiful hearing you say all those things and connecting all those things and talking about Colossians and you know acts of apostles the, the scriptures we talked about and just finding all the connections even john chapter one if you start to read most of the scriptures you just and in so many scriptures in the book of psalms 
you just keep finding how they all take you right back to Genesis chapter one in the beginning. And yeah, that's it. Amazing. Amazing. God bless your confidence. That was very lovely. God bless you. God bless you. So yeah, um, that brings us to the beautiful end.